Pastor, I don't think I've ever experienced that before. Well, then it's high time you did. It's time to get in the prayer closet and really meet with the Lord Jesus. Forget this. Well, five minutes, you know, three minutes to read the Bible, two minutes to pray, and boy, I'm out of here. Forget that. Savor your time. Make it a date time. Well, today's message uh, is, uh, I guess, a little bit different. Um, and it's, it's on this subject of getting the most benefit out of your prayer closet. Now, we're going to be explaining what all of this is and what it means. And um, we just read a passage. Brother Howard led us in, in reading in Luke chapter 24 about the Lord Jesus, how he met with these two men on the road to a place called Emmaus, which isn't all that far from Jerusalem. At least it was. As what I understand, they can't find the city anymore. Over the last 2,000 years, it's gone. So they, they have a good guess where they think it is. But I want to begin the message by talking about your gas mileage. Now, most people who have a car are going to have a gas or diesel car. I know that a lot of people are buying electric cars or hybrids, and they're making great you know, progress. They're really coming up. But they're still in the minority compared with the number of cars out there that run on gasoline or diesel. And as I thought about that, it, it, it seems to me, because I'm one of those, I have a, a gas guzzler, that the one thing that all car owners seem to be interested in is good gas mileage. Now the question is, what is good? What, how do you define good gas mileage? Well, I went on the internet to figure this one out. And it seems that various people had various suggestions, but many of them suggested around 30 miles to the gallon. 30 miles per gallon is considered good. So that means one gallon of gas would get you 30 miles of distance down the road. You say, well, what is that in metric? That equals 7.8 liters per 100 kilometers. So you go 100 kilometers and you've used almost 8 liters of gas. My wife has a little four banger engine car and it gets about seven thereabouts seven uh, liters per hundred mine gets like 16 liters per hundred it's an eight cylinder but at least mine is a lot smoother on the road than hers is but i drive between gas stations it seems anyhow it brings up another question well what is the best gas mileage what is the best gas mileage you know, from a gas vehicle. And according to published reports, the two-seater smart car. Does anyone here own a smart car? Anyone? Okay, one, two, two people. Oh, hooray for you. A two-seater smart car gets 40 miles per gallon, which is like 5.8 liters per 100 kilometers. And that is good. Good gas mileage. But is it the best? Is it the best gas mileage? The answer is no. You see, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, a team of students from Duke University in North Carolina, they got together and they built a little vehicle that got the world record for the all-time highest gas mileage. They did this a couple years ago on July 21st, 2018. 
they built a little car called the Maxwell. Put that picture up. I want you to see the Maxwell. There it is there. You're not going to find this car in the, the used car lot, you know, or the dealership. You're not going to find There's only ever one Maxwell ever built. But as far as gas mileage, are you ready for this? Miles per gallon? It gets 14,573 miles per gallon. Say, so what is that in metric? Well, that's point zero one six of a liter per 100 kilometers. Basically, it's a half ounce of gas. One half ounce of gasoline will get you, you know, 100 liters, 100 kilometers down the road. That's insane. But you're not going to be able to buy one of those things. They don't make them for the retail market. In fact, if they could, you know, it would put the oil companies out of business. It would cause upheaval. But in the real world, driving real cars, how can we get better gas mileage? Well, I'm no expert, but auto engineers have given us several tips on how to get better gas mileage. Now, bear in mind, these are just rough averages only, but I want to share these with you. Number one, have your engine tuned up, including new spark plugs and a new air filter, because you can get up to 10% better gas mileage that way. Number two, try not to use the air conditioner. Obviously, if you're Pastor Tim in the Philippines, you don't care. You're going to turn that air conditioner on full blast every day, 24 hours a day. But using the air conditioner uh, costs up to 25% in your fuel. And so by not using it, now someone says, well, what about rolling down the windows, you know, the air drag on the vehicle compared to the, you know, I don't know, you figure that out. I'm just telling you what I, what I found. Something else that we don't tend to think of is proper tire inflation. Uh, maintain proper tire inflation. Poorly inflated tires can eat up to 20% of your fuel economy. Now that's got to be pretty sloppy tire inflation to, to do that, but still you get the point. Number whatever, <laughs> don't speed. Don't speed. Well, that's something a lot of us have trouble with. Aggressive driving can cost you up to 30% of your fuel economy. Uh, next number, use cruise control if you've got it. It can save you up to 20% in fuel costs. And the last one, what is this, number six or something? If, if, you've, if you're stopped at the train tracks waiting for the train, turn your engine off. Or if you're stopped for any length of time, turn your engine off because that can save you 10% in fuel costs. Well, again, those are just rough figures, and we can argue them all day long. It doesn't matter, but we do know there's ways we can get better gas mileage. We can improve. We can save money and improve our gas mileage. So tips like these will definitely help. But there are other areas of our lives that we can use the same principle. For example, we talk about our financial investments in terms of gas mileage, Meaning, are we getting a good return off our financial investments? Some of us here have financial investments. Uh, marriage is another one. Some of us here are married. Is our marriage paying good dividends? Hmm? Ever think of a marriage like that? Or how about the house you buy? Some of us here own houses. Has the value gone up? Or has the value gone down since you bought it? You know, how's that kind of uh, investment doing, that value? But what I want us to think about today is getting better gas mileage out of our prayer closets. 
That's what I'm getting at today. Because trust me, some people that do have prayer closets are in and out of them so fast that they don't seem to notice any kind of benefit. But we want to see if we can improve that. And honestly, really, I'm taking the time to share this with you. This is going to really help your Christian life. Now, if you have attended any of the revival meetings, even if you were just here last Sunday morning and you heard the preaching, the Holy Spirit has started a work in your life. Particularly if you were here for several days, you know the Holy Spirit has done work in your life. And um, Pastor Ivan, do you have those? Can you put those up? Yes, we asked for feedback from the people that were here. We handed out papers. Nobody signed it. We just wanted to know your feedback. Here's some of the feedback. Put those up. The revival was powerful, inspiring, and impactful. Next, it helped me to re-examine my relationship with Christ. God used this revival to break the ice in my heart. I like how that was put. I got to confess sin and sensed his presence. Boy, that's powerful. I wish my whole family was here to experience the blessing. An excellent reminder of what God wants and expects from us. It helped me to realize that the problem was myself. I needed to surrender that hurt to God. That's a good one. I realized that it was my pride that hindered me from loving unconditionally. Very true. I've been praying for quite a while about revival for my heart. Truly God answers prayers. God spoke to change my direction in life, to serve him more. Those are just a few of the comments. There was a pile of comments, more that came in. We couldn't use them all, but you get the idea. The revival really did something. Today's message is designed to help you and take you the next step and to be a blessing to you. Um, we want to look at the benefits. I'm loosely using the phrase of gas mileage in your prayer closet, all right? It's a little bit of tongue-in-cheek there, but we want to maximize the benefits of our daily time alone with Jesus. And there are benefits. There's lots of them. The Lord wants to bless us in our finances and, in, and give us more wisdom for our problems. He wants to give us peace. He wants to bless us with health. He wants to give us more joy and contentment. And the list goes on of the blessings that God can and wants to do for us. So my question is, what can we do to maximize, to improve the gas mileage out of our prayer closets, to maximize the benefit? That's what I want to talk about today. And I'd like us to pray before we go any further. Our loving Heavenly Father, help us now. We've laid a little foundation here in the introduction. Help us all to have ears to hear, hearts to take it in. Help us all today to be humble and teachable, just the way you want us to be. Please bless your people. Help each and every one of us to prosper because we've learned to spend time alone with Jesus. Make it real in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the revival's over, but now what? I mentioned earlier it would be a shame, it'd be a heartache if the revival died after only three or four days, it's gone. That would be terrible, that'd be a shame. 
the revival fires that God has begun in our hearts can continue through our prayer closets. So again, I want to share with you some, I'll call them tips. I want to encourage you to write these down. There's only about four of them. I've tried to make it brief, but tips for maximizing the benefits that you'll get from your prayer closet. Now, take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 6. Here we have the Sermon on the Mount. The greatest sermon ever preached on earth is this sermon by the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, we call it the Sermon on the Mount because he was sitting up on the side of a mountain in order to speak to all of the people. But in chapter number 6, now here's point number 1. Make sure you get yourself a prayer closet. Make sure you get yourself a prayer closet. Many Christians, they go many days without ever taking time to talk to Jesus. Uh, I'm not going to ask for any raise of hands here, but did you spend time with Jesus this morning when you got up? You see, that's a penetrating question. When we get up in the morning, boy, we want to give him the, the first cut, the first choice. The prime cut, I guess. They call it in the, the food industry. Look at chapter 6 and verse number 5. The very first few words. And when thou prayest. See that? Now, um, look at verse 6. And thou, when thou prayest. And look again at verse 7. But when ye pray. And so Jesus is speaking as if it's a very natural, normal thing for us to pray. And indeed it is. It's very natural. It ought to be very natural and normal for you to, to talk to the Lord Jesus throughout the day, even in the middle of the night if you wake up. How many here tend to wake up in the middle of the night? Raise your hand. Be proud. <laughs> I'm one of you. I'm in there with you. <laughs> now, this morning, I, I got up about a quarter after two. And I went back to bed shortly thereafter. But... Um, it's kind of a normal thing. Do you ever talk to the Lord in those wee hours? It's a dandy time, a wonderful opportunity just to take a, a few moments and talk to the Lord. Maybe you're praying for someone, pray for the tailors, pray for the church service, maybe a family member is in need. You can send up some prayers. It's a wonderful time. So it's just a little suggestion, but the Lord is talking about us praying uh, as a natural thing. And if that, if that is true, then prayer takes time. And so we need a time, a certain time. When is the best time that we should be doing our best praying? And if you look in verse 11, I think you'll get the answer. Give us this day our daily bread. What time of day do you think we ought to be praying that prayer? Morning? Noon or night? Morning. In the morning, Lord, give us today our daily bread. Now, it's a little difficult to, to pray like that in today's economy and culture because all of us have so much food stored up in our closets, in our cupboards, in our refrigerators, in our deep freezes. We've got all kinds of food there, and so it's a little bit difficult to pray. But if you had no food, zero food, don't you think you'd be praying in the morning? Lord, I need something to eat today. 
I dare say there are Christians in the world that face that. Don't you think so? Now, just because we have food in the cupboards doesn't mean we shouldn't pray that. We ought to be praying. Because, you know, you can find that you go to the cupboard and the cupboard can be bare. Maybe the mice got there before you. But the best time, I think, that we should be praying is in the morning. Prayer has to be done someplace. You've got to be someplace when you pray. So what do you think the best place is in order to do our prayer? Look at verse 6. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. Closet. Now, that's a strange place. At least we would think it as strange. Well, that's where all my sweaters and suits and pants and, you know, shoes and everything, they're all crammed into the closet. There's no room for me. My closet's full of clothes and boxes and things. How can I get in there and pray? Well, um, that's a good question. Uh, a closet here in chapter 6 was a small, separate room away from people. It's like in secret, it's like a little secret place. And in fact, it, Jesus even says that here, doesn't he? He says, when thou, um, prayest, uh, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. God loves to meet us in secret. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't pray together. Of course we should. When we get together as a church family, we ought to pray. When you get together with a few friends, you ought to have a word of prayer. Or with your family, you ought to pray. But your best praying is going to be done in secret, in the closet. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. There are some Christians that don't pray very much. And so when they do pray, you know, they, uh, they do it in public. Time to pray. <clears throat> I'll go first. And then they launch into some, some prayer. And we say, wow, is that ever flowery? Oh, is that ever frilly? Wow, look at all of the ornamentation on that prayer. That's really something. Yeah, except that they tend not to pray in private. They, they're good at public praying with fancy adverbs and adjectives and things like that. But when it comes to secret prayer with God, they're pretty barren. They're pretty empty. Some Christians are like that. Now, we ought to turn that around. We ought to do our best praying when we're alone in secret because I believe that God does his best work in secret. He promises us some real benefits will come from the prayer closet if we will get alone with him and spend that time. Now, the idea, and you can write this down, the whole idea behind this is get alone with Jesus and pray. Get alone with Jesus, away from people, away from distractions. If your cell phone is always ringing, then either put it on silent or put it in another corner of the house. Get away from the phone. If there's other distractions, doorbell, the dog, the baby, maybe there's someone who can look after those things for you while you're alone with Jesus. If there's absolutely no one and you, you have to answer the phone or the door, or whatever, then do what you got to do and then come back to the prayer closet. Keep coming back to the prayer closet. Don't let the devil get you out of there and keep you out. Get back to the prayer closet. Moses, he had kind of a, we'll call it a prayer closet in Exodus chapter 19. He went up into a mountain and he met with God and he was there a long time. Imagine being in your prayer closet for 40 days. Well, Moses was sort of like that. 
In Daniel chapter 6, we find that Daniel, the prophet Daniel, had sort of a prayer closet when they passed a, a law that no one could pray to any god except the king. You've got to read that story. That's a wild one. Daniel heard about this. He went upstairs into his chamber and opened the windows and he prayed to God toward Jerusalem three times a day. I think he did that so the bad guys would see him. But that's my opinion. But uh, he had kind of a prayer closet going. The Apostle Paul found a prayer closet in the belly of a ship in Acts chapter 27 when he met with God. So find some place where you can get alone with God. And maybe you do have a closet that has a little bit of room in there. Put a chair in there and close the door. Maybe have a light bulb, a flashlight or something. And there's your prayer closet. Or maybe there's some other room in the house that's not being used. Uh, what uh, Susanna Wesley, the mother of John and Charles Wesley, the evangelist guys in the 1700s, she had about 18 kids, you know, and they're all running around the house. And so she taught the kids, when, uh, when you see mama sitting in the kitchen with her work apron up over her head, she's talking to Jesus, so you be quiet. And the kids learned, you know, they're running around like kids do and, oh, Mom's talking to Jesus. Let's be quiet. And that was her prayer closet. She would put her apron up over her head and she would pray. And I think she had her Bible under there as well. However, there's always some place. And if you still don't know, ask the Lord because he knows the little nooks and crannies that you may not think of. And he can show you something. But this is so important. Make sure, make sure, make sure that you have some place where you can meet with the Lord. Now, point number two. Make it a date time, D-A-T-E. Make it a date time with Jesus. What I'm saying is make it fun. Look forward to it. For this, I'd like you to turn to the right to the Gospel of John, chapter number 1. In John chapter number 1, there is kind of an interesting little side story here. The Lord Jesus had been pointed out by John the Baptist, you know, in verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And we say, Amen, and that's great. But um, this little side story here, you know, it happened the next day. See verse 35, there's John and two of his disciples, uh, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he, that's John, saith, Behold the Lamb of God. Now watch this. Two of his disciples, two disciples, heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say by interpretation, Master. That's what Rabbi means, is Master. Where dwellest thou? I mean, they were interested. They, it was like a journey for them, these two guys. They wanted to find out where he, where he was staying. He saith unto them, Come and see. Oh, more intrigue. So they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. So we figure maybe four in the afternoon or something like that. But uh, here's just an interesting little side story of a couple of the disciples that were curious and, and interested and they wanted to, to get in there close with Jesus and find out where he was living. They wanted to talk to him, no doubt. They had questions for him and wanted to get his opinion on different things. Understand something. Jesus is the lover of your soul. No one, no one, no one, not even your mother, 
loves you as much as Jesus loves you. And no one, no one, no one, not even your mother or your father, was able to die for your sins on the cross. That's the key. That's who Jesus is. He's God come in the flesh to do something for us that we can't do ourselves. Because none of us can redeem ourselves. I mean, we're hopeless. We've broken the law. We're undone. We're separated from God. The only thing we deserve is to be separated in hell. That's what we deserve. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, and that's more than just a head knowledge, that's, that's your heart, should not perish. That means to go to hell, but have everlasting life. Everlasting life is a free gift. God will give it to whosoever will believe in the Lord Jesus. So this is very important. He is the lover of our souls. He died for us. He suffered our punishment in hell. Now, dating couples or married couples who go out on dates, they don't go out to be miserable, do they? Honey, let's be miserable tonight. Let's get together out in a restaurant, okay? And I'll just be as grouchy as I can. And you don't talk to me. You just look out the window. How about that? How about we do that? No, they don't do that. They don't act like that. They go out on dates to have a happy time together, to have a little bit of fun in each other's presence. That's why they go out on dates. That's the whole idea behind dating. At least it was when I was dating. (laughs) I don't know if it's changed. I hope not. Make your prayer closet a date time with Jesus. Something to look forward to. Something that you're going to enjoy. You see, that's what's going to keep it going. Because if your prayer closet becomes just kind of some drudgery, some boredom or something, it's not going to last. You're not going to last, folks. You're going to maybe a day or two, you're going to quit. But if it becomes a time of intrigue and fun, something you look forward to, what can I learn today? You know, in the Old Testament, the book of uh, Song of Solomon, you have Solomon and the girl that became his wife. And it's a picture between God and his people, a loving relationship. And in chapter 1, verse 7, she says, Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. You know, she was interested. She wanted to know about him and find out more. And when two young people go out on a date, that's what they do. She says, what's your, what's your favorite kind of music? Well, what kind of you know, movie do you like? Or a book do you like? Or, you know, what do you think of this or that? Or what sort of food do you like? And they're trying to find out about each other. And that's part of what you're doing in your prayer closet. Do you know what it means to savor? To savor something? To savor a meal? Hmm? That's what you want to do in your prayer closet. Savor the time with the Lord. Don't be in a rush. All right, got in my prayer closet. Well, I got about two and a half minutes. Yeah, you're just going to get in the door in two and a half minutes. Imagine, imagine the girls, if your guy said, okay, we're going to go on a date. We have two and a half minutes. How would you respond to that? Two and a half minutes? <laughs> Hello? No, no, you want a little more than that. Oh, all right, three and a half minutes. It's not enough, is it? You want to take your time, not be in a rush. Don't be afraid to invest a little time with your Savior. Now, myself personally, usually, 
And I'm probably like many of you, I only have so much time in a morning that I can spend with the Lord. If I want more time, I have to get up earlier. Now, oh, there's a novel thought. Pastor, when I, you know, I've, I've got to be out the door by 7.30, Pastor, in order to catch the subway or the bus or the, you know, get to work. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a busy person. And I've got to be out the door at 7.30. So when I get up at 7 o'clock, I only have half an hour to get showered and dressed and have breakfast. And I'm out the door. Maybe you should get up at 6.30. And then usually the response you get is a <gasps> one of those. Because our problem, correct me if I'm wrong, but a, what a lot of us do is <clears throat> we see how late we can stay up in order to get up in the morning in just enough time to get out the door to make our commitment. Well, I, I can't be late for work. Or I can't be late for the doctor. I can't be late for the dentist. I can't be late for school. But boy, we can be late for the Lord. Ah, it's not the same, doesn't matter. There's no consequence. He won't reprimand me. Well, he'll be pretty so sad. But the point is, we may need to get up a little bit earlier. If you, wanna, if you only get up at 7, you've got to be at the door at 7.30, then get up at you know, 6.45. Give yourself 15 minutes or something. So I give myself you know, a good measure of time. This is what I do because I too have to get out the door like about a quarter after seven. That's about when I have to leave. So um, I can tell you this though. The best times that I've ever had in the prayer closet have been the days when I don't have a schedule to keep. I don't have to be out the door at 7.15. I don't have to be anywhere. And I can lose track of the time. And I've done that. Where I've just, you know, the clock, Everything is turned away. I don't know what time it is. I'm just enjoying myself with the Lord. You know, that's something dating couples do as well. They get together, you know, get together for seven o'clock for a date or something. And, and then they look at their watch and they, what time is it? And they look and they say, oh, it's 11 o'clock. Oh, we got to go. What happened to the last four hours? They were just taken up with violins, taken up with each other. They've enjoyed it so much. That's what you want in your prayer closet. That's what you're after. You're after a sweet time with God. Pastor, I don't think I've ever experienced that before. Well, then it's high time you did. It's time to get in the prayer closet and really meet with the Lord Jesus. Forget this. Well, five minutes, you know, three minutes to read the Bible, two minutes to pray, and boy, I'm out of here. Forget that. Savor your time. Make it a date time. Hey, why don't you take a hymn book into your prayer closet with you? You know the Lord wants to hear you sing? Did you know that? You know these guys who, who court their girls and they bring a guitar and she looks out the window and he starts singing. You've seen old corny movies like that. You know, Maybe some of you have done that. Uh, I know that I used to do a little bit of singing, you know, to my girlfriend who became my wife. I used to do a little bit of that too, you know. Why don't we sing a little bit to the Lord? You know, some of the choruses that we sing on Sunday mornings, and we didn't sing the choruses today, but usually we sing some choruses. One of our reasons for doing that is to give you songs to sing in your prayer closet. There's one hymn, a little chorus, 
We have come into this place to call upon his name and worship him. And you could say to the Lord in your prayer closet, Lord Jesus, I have come into this place. That's the prayer closet. To call upon your name, that's Jesus' name, and worship you. You could do that. Pastor, if people heard me sing, you know, they'd run out of the house. Well, then get in your closet and close the door. Tell people to put cotton in their ears. Go for a drive in the car. Keep the windows rolled up. But, you know, he wants to hear you sing. I don't have a singing voice. You don't think you have a singing voice. You have a voice and you can sing. Ah, But I'm kind of all over. I can't hold a note in a bucket. You know, I'm not very good. It doesn't matter. Do you think the Lord requires us to be all trained in opera with gorgeous, beautiful vocals? None of us are. None of us. The best of us. We would fail the auditions at the uh, Metropolitan Opera. You know, any one of us here today, the best of us would stand up and they they would say, next. (laughs) And that would be it for us. We don't have these golden pipes. God isn't expecting it. He's expecting a golden heart. He wants to hear you sing. So I'm telling you, take advantage of this. Enjoy your time with Jesus. Like a beautiful, expensive meal. You savor it. You enjoy it. You take in its beauty. You get to spend time alone with Jesus. And when, I'll tell you this is true. This is a true story. When Jesus went to visit with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he went into their home. There's Martha in the kitchen, just as busy as she could be. And there's Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha saw Mary and Martha got upset. Lord, Tell my sister to get in this kitchen and help me. And then Jesus responded, Martha, you know, you're a wonderful lady, but you're troubled, you're busy about all kinds of things, but Mary has chosen the better part. You know all that work you got to do? It's not going anywhere. It'll be there tomorrow. You can take time. You really can take time. Take some time and sit at Jesus' feet. I want to tell you a story about a boyfriend and girlfriend. And she used to text him all the time. I love you. I miss you. Have you had your food today? Have you eaten today? Anyhow, typical guy, you know, he gets these texts and after a while he gets tired of them. Oh, there she is texting me again. Oh, she's texting me again. Anyhow, he got tired of this. And so this one night when he was tired, he was ready to go to bed, you know, his phone goes off It's another text from his girlfriend. Well, he ignored it and he went to sleep. The next morning, he got a phone call from the girl's mother and she was crying and she said, I have the most terrible news to tell you that my daughter died last night. And he thought, she tried to text me. And so he opens up his phone and finds the text and in there, You know, she says, "Um, honey, come, please help me. I'm close to your house. There's someone, there's a stranger following me. Please come. And that was the last message, text message she ever got from him. And what we learn from this is don't ignore people who love love you and care for you. Don't ignore them. And Jesus died for you and loves you and cares for you. Because here's what can happen if you ignore them. 
you, you may realize one day that you've lost the moon while counting the stars. You've lost the moon while counting the stars. Don't let that happen. Don't miss out on your time with Jesus. Quickly, point number three is try to know Jesus better through your Bible. That's why you've got a Bible. So try to know Jesus better through reading, studying your Bible. Now you're in John. Turn to John chapter 5 and verse number 39. Here the Lord Jesus spoke these words to a bunch of people who didn't really want to believe in him, but he spoke a truth, a true principle in John 5 and 39. I want you to read this out loud with me. Would you please do that? John 5, 39. All together, let's read. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So the Bible will teach you about Jesus. It'll teach you all about Jesus. There's things about Jesus you don't know yet. Yeah, well, I know his name. Well, good. That's one of his names. Do you know that the Bible gives him a lot of different names? Did you know that? There's a name for Jesus for every letter of the alphabet. How many of them do you know? When I do pre-marriage counsel with people, young couple will come to me and they want to be married, and I'll give them pre-marriage counsel. And I'll ask them a few questions. Uh, do you know how he got saved? And do you know how she got saved? And sometimes they say, no. I don't. They don't even know each other's testimony, and but they want to get married. And so the part of their homework is to learn how each other got saved. And other questions like that. Jesus is the author of the Bible, and a careful study of the Bible will reveal many things about Jesus. He ought to be the greatest topic of your study. The Apostle Paul's greatest desire well, he expressed it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. He said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. In order to get to know another human being, it's going to take you a few years maybe. There's complexities about people. And to get to really know someone, I guess you've got to marry them and live with them or live under the same roof with them somehow. But it takes time to get to know a person. And after a few years, you're going to get to know them. But I can guarantee you this. In all your years on earth, you are not going to get to know everything there is to know about Jesus. You could live to be 110 and you will not get to know all there is to know about Jesus. And I got news for you. Jesus is eternal. He is omniscient. He knows everything. He is omnipotent. He has all power, all power. And he is omnipresent. He is everywhere. Our finite minds can't fully take that in. You and I, we're going to be all eternity learning new things about our Savior Jesus. There is so much to learn about him. Where do I begin? You begin by reading your Bible. That's where you begin. I want you to look in their Bible and learn about his supremacy and that how Jesus is the Jehovah of the Old Testament. They're the same. I want you to learn about what Jesus likes and what he doesn't like. You can learn all this from reading your Bible. Learn what makes him angry and what makes him sad. You mean Jesus gets angry? Yeah, don't you remember? He went into the temple and made a whip and drove. He was angry. Remember that? He, was, he got angry on earth a couple of times. Uh, learn about how he produces love in 
us in joy and peace. Learn how he does that. Learn about the wisdom that he can give us. Learn about the power that he can give us for victory over sin and the world and the devil. Learn about his eternal plans for all humanity. The more you know about Jesus, the more you will love him and appreciate him and honor him. Quickly now, number four. I told you there was four and here's the fourth one. Write down the things the Lord shows you. Write them down. If it's important to you, you will write it down. I can guarantee you that. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, it, God through Moses said that one day when you get a king, future kings, the king is supposed to write himself out a copy of the scripture, of the law of Moses. He was supposed to have his own copy so that he could read it and learn from it, memorize it and grow. Now I know it sounds simple, but you'll find there's big blessings when you write things down. Well, I'll never forget this. Well, you might. But even if you won't, write it down. Here's why. Number one, it honors the Lord when you write down what he tells you. Say, Pastor, what do you mean when he tells me something? I mean this. You're in the prayer closet and you've done maybe 10 minutes of Bible reading and you get on your knees or get on your face and you're going to do five or 10 minutes of prayer And then as you're praying, the Holy Spirit is talking to your heart. And he tells you something, something that you need to do. Maybe you need to apologize to someone. Maybe you need to do an errand, an important errand and pick something up. Maybe through the scripture, you've learned some great truth. Well, you have a little pad or a notebook or a wad of paper and a pen or a pencil. And you write those things down because it honors the Lord. Many years ago, we had a young guy work for us for the summer. This is before Pastor Tim ever came on board. And this young guy was sharp young guy. And we would ask him to do something. He would take out of his pocket a little notebook and a pen and he would write it down right in front of us. If we asked him to to do this or do that, and he would write it down. If we asked him tomorrow, why don't you do this? He would write it down. If we told him, here's something that I want you to change, we want you to change in in what you're doing, he'd write it down. And that impressed us to this day. We never forgot it. When you write something down, you honor the Lord because you are showing the Lord, this is important to me. And you take a moment, you write it down. Number two is it improves your ability to remember. When you write something down, you greatly improve the chances that you're not going to forget it, that you will remember it. And number three, you've written it down for future review. Six months, six years from now, you probably will have long forgotten it. But there's your notes. Look what the Lord taught me on that day. You can build a little diary. The Lord will show you all kinds of things. All you need is a pen and paper to do it. He will show you important things when you're reading your Bible and during your prayer time. And it's during, I'll tell you my own life, that it's during these times of Bible reading and prayer that the Lord gives me what to preach on Sunday. I've had people come up to me afterwards and say, wow, that was the most amazing message. And I'll tell them, well, I got it from the Lord. I got it from the Lord in my prayer closet. I was reading the scriptures and the Holy Spirit says, hey, look at this. Have you ever thought of that? No, I never thought of that. Now we write that down. I'd be on my face praying and the Lord would remind me, call this person, text that person. I write it down. 
he would give me some idea. For, in fact, listen, next Sunday, I'm going to preach a sermon about the windows of heaven and the key that unlocks it. Two years ago, the Lord gave me that when I was on my face in prayer in my prayer closet. It's been sitting there for two years. And then in the last week, the Lord said, okay, I want you to preach this. Because I'm always asking the Lord, what do you want me to preach? What do you want me to tell the people? And so about a week ago, maybe it was two weeks ago, but the Lord said, now is the time. I want you to preach this one. And so it's going to be ready for you next Sunday. It's about the windows of heaven and the key that will unlock it. We'll talk more about that later. But that's where it comes from. So maintain a daily meeting time with Jesus. You do this and he will prosper your life. You think that you can prosper your own life. You, you can't hold a candle to what Jesus can do for you if you will do this for him. There's an interesting story about these two men. They were wood chopping men and they got into a contest and their job was to chop down as many trees in the forest as they could from sun up till sundown. And the winner would be rewarded with fame and fortune. And so starting in the morning, they both started chopping away. And by noontime, they were fairly equal. But then one of the guys, he uh, you know, wipes the sweat off his brow and puts his axe down. He says, I'm taking a lunch break. And the other guy looked at him and thought, I got him. I got him. He says, I'm taking no break. And he just kept swinging his axe and chopping and chopping and chopping. And the sweat's pouring off him. Well, by the end of the day, the other guy ended up with more trees chopped than this guy who never took a break. And he was fit to be tied and frustrated. And he realized the other guy won. And he went over to him and I said, I don't understand it. You're lazy. You, you took a lunch break. I worked hard. I didn't take any break. How is it that you chop more trees than me? And the guy responded and says, well, when I took a lunch break, I took time to sharpen my axe. And that makes a big difference. Did you know that's even in the Bible? In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says, if the iron be blunt and he do not wet the edge, that's W-H-E-T, it means to sharpen. He do not wet the edge, then must he put to more strength. But wisdom is profitable to direct. It means this, every Christian needs to take time with Jesus, because that's how we sharpen our axe. That's how we can come out swinging and face the day with new wisdom and new power and new endurance and new strength and new joy. If we spend time with Jesus in the prayer closet. You know what I'm preaching about today, right? It's pretty obvious. Is a prayer closet, folks. And I'm giving you the reasons. And I'm giving you the how-tos and the whys and wherefores. There's no reason why any one of us should not have a prayer closet. Aside from pride or laziness or stubbornness or disinterest or something like that. But I mean, that's on us, right? God gives us a choice. We do it his way, we do it our way. If we do it his way, we get his blessings. If we do it our way, well, it's just another day, isn't it? A fruitless day, trying to chop down trees with a dull axe, day after day. I'd rather do it God's way. In our scripture reading this morning, Brother Howard led us in the reading of Luke 24, and it talked about these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they met with Jesus, but they didn't know it was Jesus at first. 
And so then Jesus started telling them. He started opening the scriptures, beginning at Moses and the prophets. He expounded the whole Old Testament. Everything that had to do with him, he taught to these guys. And these two guys later said, did not our hearts burn within us? How would you like an experience like that, a burning heart, reading the scriptures and praying and feeling close to the Lord? Every one of us would want that, I hope. Well, we can have that. That's what the, the prayer closet is all about. Okay, we started this sermon talking about getting good gas mileage for your car, but we applied it to getting maximum benefits from spending time alone with Jesus in the morning in the prayer closet. Can I ask you this? Do you even have a prayer closet? Do you even have one? Some of you will say, yep. Others of you will say, yep, but I haven't been in it for a while. Others of you will say, nope. (laughs) Well, why not? Why don't we get our prayer closets going? Oil the hinges on the door. Brush away the cobwebs. Start today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Start today. If you haven't been in the prayer closet yet today, when you go home today, doesn't matter what time you go home. When you go home today, say, folks, I got to spend a few minutes with Jesus. Excuse me. A famous pastor who's long, long, long dead. I mean dead, like over 100 years dead. He would meet with people in their homes, but come, I think it was around 9 o'clock at night, no matter what was happening, he would say, I have an important meeting in the morning and I have to leave. And so he'd get to bed early so he could get up early and go into his prayer closet. And the man was a man of power. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.